Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We're going to be in the book of 1 John this morning, and so I want to invite you to turn there. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we've woven these four themes together. Um, of hope, peace, joy, and love. We'll talk about them here in just a second. Uh, but the book of First John is where we're going to finish up. We were there last week, finish up this week. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to grab one. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can um, open that app and find our live event and follow along um, right now. Let's, let's ask for God's help, and then we'll get going. Uh, Father, for the ways that you sustain us, we're grateful. Sustain us even now. Energy and thought, openness, clarity, all the things that we need. Um, and Father, I pray that you would um, uh, speak to your people about the incredible love that you have for us that's been demonstrated for us in Jesus. Um, our confession is, God, that um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a sentimentality that comes along with this season, uh, but we don't want to forget why you came, Jesus, for us. So open up your word to us and open us up to your word and speak. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Okay, so 1 John chapter 4, uh, the four candles of Advent. Uh, we will lie today. Last, or excuse me, three Sundays ago, we lit the candle of hope. Uh, saying this, that hope is the confidence in the promises of God that are rooted in the work of Jesus. And our best response to that is to remember what God has said and to trust what God has said. And so those two things are critical. That's, that's the, uh, the generating force of hope is when we remember what God has said and we trust what he said. And then we let the kennel of peace. Peace is a sense of rest in God's sovereignty um, that is rooted in the work of Jesus. Because he has accomplished what he has said he was going to do, we recognize that God is the one who is in control. There are people who think that they're in control. There are forces that seem to be in control. There are events and circumstances that come against us that seem to impose their control. But what do we know in the midst of all of that? Jesus is the one who is in control. Nobody elected him and nobody's impeaching him this week. It just seems important to say. I, like, I didn't get that for laughs. I, I mean, I, it just seems to, important to say, we have a king. And so we can rest in his kingliness. Uh, and then last week, this different one, we lit the candle of joy. Joy, we said, is the byproduct of being satisfied in God because of all of that he has done for us in Jesus. Um, that our, if we try to grasp onto joy, we actually lose it. But when we keep our eyes focused on God and are satisfied in him, that is when joy becomes our companion, our byproduct in our relationship with him. So we, we consistently focus on who he is, a clear view. And then like the psalmist says in Psalm 16, a steady gaze. I have set the Lord always before me. And then today we light the candle of love. Um, and love, I will say it this way and then I'll quote it from 1 John chapter 4, love is a response to God's initiative um, that, that is demonstrated for us in the work of Jesus. Or the way John said it is this, we love because he first loved us. That's what 1 John four nineteen says. And our response then is simply to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So uh, we're going to get going here. 1 John chapter 4, I only want to concentrate on one verse. We'll pick up on a couple of other verses, but concentrate on this one verse, verse 14. 1 John four, fourteen. And we've seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's a good Christmas verse right there. I want to ask four questions. 
Two what questions and two why questions. So let's get started with the what question. Uh, what is happening here in this particular verse? He starts there. Um, Verse 14, and we have seen and we have testified. That's the answer to the question. What is happening? Well, people are seeing and people are testifying, not one or the other, but both and. And so um, I, I want to uh, just put some emphasis on this word seen here because John has mentioned this two or three times in his letter already. We looked at one of the ones last week. What we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what, I've, what we've touched, what our hands have, we, we've been able to put our hands on. This is what we looked at last week in First John chapter 1. Um, this whole idea of seeing is kind of a deeper dive into the spiritual life. It's not necessarily another level as much as it is. is it, it is the moment when we go from simply hearing and knowing to experiencing. So if you, can, if you uh, uh, plunge yourself off of the um, high dive at whatever pool that you can remember being on, and you kind of lock into that, and then you dive down, and you hit that water, and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you go all the way to the bottom. There is a greater pressure on you. Are you with me on this? So indeed, when we jump off, if you will, the, the high dive, we land in this good news of Jesus. The deeper, we don't, we don't move on from it. The deeper we go into it, the greater the pressure is on us that will conform us to who he is. We don't move away from it. We just continue to experience it. We see it. We understand what it is. And some people think, well, I grew up around church and I've only um, heard about this. I've only heard about this. I've only heard about this. Listen, hearing is important. The Bible's very clear about this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We need to hear the word of God. Um, we need to receive it into our lives. But, but we also want to uh, experience it. We want to see it. And as we do, we'll, we'll just build up a file folder full of stories of how God has been at work in our lives. Listen, folks, we won't see it, though, unless we are committed to obeying. Please hear that again. The, the, these folks, they could, see and test, they could see it and they could testify to it. Why? Because they were committed to obeying it. And so for us, I just tell you, man, God's got some big things out there for us in 2020. God, for, for us collectively as a church family, for you individually, we need to obey it so that we can have these experiences. We can say, hey, we've heard about this for sure, but man, we've seen it. We have experienced it. The pressure is conforming us to the image of Jesus. And I can't wait to tell you about it. So that's the next part. Is that the genuine and personal experience of this cannot be contained. They testified to it. They had heard about it. Oh, it's good. They had seen it. They had gone. It was a deep dive. And it was, it was making them who uh, Jesus wanted them to be. And they couldn't contain it. It, it, was, it was, they had to testify. They had to. They had to bear testimony to it. I'll just give you a quick example of this. Uh, I know some of you uh, have seen Star Wars, the, the, uh, the last one, episode nine already. How many of you have done so? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Rise of Skywalker. That's exactly what it is. Yep, let it out. You're an evangelist for the Rise of Skywalker, are you? Have you seen it? Don't tell me. Don't. Sh 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 I bumped into Ray Andrus earlier. Not literally bumped into him, but I did say hey to him. And I, I know he's seen it. And I was really glad that he didn't say anything because I didn't want to have to. Like, I, we're just, those of us who haven't seen it yet, who are Star Wars fans, are judging all of you right now because we don't like you very much. And if you come up to us, Ray Andrus, and were to try to spoil it for us, uh, how was the movie? Oh, it was so great. We will cut you with our lightsaber, all right? Like, we will get you right there. 
because the people that I've briefly interacted with that said, yeah, we've seen it, have said something very much like my friend on the front row here. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh-huh. So rise the sky. And you almost can't keep it in, right? Like it takes everything in you to keep it in. To see it and to testify to it. Just can't keep it in. That, that, that's them right here. Um, I, I think for the, the stru- one of the struggles in the American church is that we've, we've substituted hearing for seeing. And because we've substituted hearing for seeing, um, it takes everything in us not to keep it in, but to actually speak up. Folks, that's got to change for us. It's got to change for us as a church family. It's got to change for us individually. Let's, let's be people who see it and who testify to it. It just cannot be contained. It's a genuine and personal experience that takes everything in me to hold it in. What is happening? They are seeing and they are testifying. Secondly, if they're testifying, what story are they telling? Look at verse 14 again. We've seen it testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the, that's the story, that the Father has sent the Son. They've sent, the Father has sent the Son. And so I just want to think about that here uh, for just a second. It is, it is surprising in the way that that happened, but it's not unexpected. Um, all along, God had been testifying. Genesis chapter 3, Acts, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, Exodus 18, uh, on and on. I mean, we got all of these instances of things in the Old Testament that are telling us about what God is doing to bring this about. I don't remember exactly how my wife and I got in this conversation a week or so ago. We, we were reminiscing about our kids and when she was expecting. And you know how that goes. I mean, you're pregnant, and then you kind of don't feel good. And then all of a sudden, that second trimester is glorious because the kid starts moving around. You see a fist come through, or a heel come. And the, the husband now feels like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like a dad at this point. Like, there's a human. You're growing a human. That's pretty amazing. And you, you get to that point in the, in the night, you know, coming up on the nine months where you're like, hey, I'm no longer expecting. I'm angry, right? You're, you're, ladies, are you with me on this? Uh, some of you have expressed this before. I've never personally experienced that, just for the record. But I can say that. I've seen y'all express this before. Um, And and in this sense, that sense of expecting, that that sense of, man, it's coming. God didn't wait nine months. He waited the better part of 2,000 years. This trajectory from this this promise to Abraham that he's going to send the Messiah. Oh, Moses comes on the scene. Oh, Moses is a good guy, but there's a prophet coming who's even better than Moses. David is raised up as the king. Good king. What a king. Man, he's leading Israel. It's amazing. Oh, David, David, that's amazing. There's coming a king who's going to be better than David. And on and on and on we could go. Through the highest of the high times and the lowest of the low times and the quiet, the silence. God's promised the Messiah is coming. He's promised the Messiah is coming. When did he come? The Bible says it this way. It was in the fullness of time. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that we, you and me, may receive adoption as sons, be brought into his family. In the fullness of time, God was orchestrating the events of history to bring all of it to this moment where he would step into our world. And that's the second thing. We're not talking about a very special person being born. We're talking about the God of the universe coming to earth. 
I just, I, I don't know how to get at this except to say, I, I just think we need to be unequivocal in that. That is, that is the, uh, like, that is the primary thing, the doctrine of who Jesus is and what he's done, our beliefs about him. That is what sets Christianity apart from everything else. We don't believe Jesus was a really awesome human that God kind of brought into the fold and was like, hey man, you're going to be my guy. We believe that God himself has come to earth and we need to be unequivocal about that. The, the Bible actually mentions this just a couple of verses earlier. This is not anywhere in the notes or um, on the app or anything because I, I just touched on it. I mean, I added it later. But just in verse 2 of chapter 4, by this you know that the Spirit of God, by, excuse me, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ uh, or Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I mean, there you go. So, Our confession is that Jesus, the Son of God, has left heaven and come to earth. The eternal one has stepped onto earth. And we just, I think we need to be unequivocal about that. Now, does that cause some confusion and open up some doors? Yes, heavens yes. There are questions that go along with that. Absolutely. God's not afraid of those questions, but I I think we need to hold on to that as a unique uh, expression of of our Christianity. Uh, This is Philippians chapter 2. We just need to hold, this is a great passage to remember and hold on to, especially at Christmas. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped in order to be held on to tightly, put in your pocket. Locked up, so to speak, uh, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, at the Father's right hand. The eternal one steps down to earth. And how does he come? I mean, if you and I are the king of the universe, uh, I mean, I would do something pretty dramatic. I'd like rip the skies open, come in like a meteor. Anybody with me? Angels, something. I mean, something would happen. I would just bust the place wide open. Hey, I'm going to come fix this joint because y'all have all screwed it up. Here I come. How did he come? Surprisingly. Like as a baby. It was dramatic, all right. But he came with a surprise. He, He came lowly. He came meekly. He came to revolutionize us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so, again, we, I think uh, this verse popped up last week, but Philippi, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, 12. For unto you is born today, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ, who is the Messiah, the Lord, the ruling one, the King. This will be a sign for you. The angels tell the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. Find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And, and they did. And they did. The, the eternal one has now come to earth. And he has come in a shocking and surprising way. And, and uh, this is the last part back in verse 14. Uh, we see and we testify that the father has sent the son. He is sent. Don't miss that. He is sent The father sent the son. The son here was doing the bidding of the father. And uh, I guess some people maybe frame this in my mind. I I just want to... Differently than maybe some others, but some people frame this as the son being the dutiful, obedient son. Oh, yes, father, I will go and... I, I, I can't picture it like that. I just can't. There's too much joy of, 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 of the light bursting into the darkness, of angels showing up, 
of Mary pondering things and treasuring up things in her heart, of the, uh, the, even when Jesus steps onto the cross, he did so for the, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. I, just, I picture something different than that. Instead of dutiful obedience, I picture joyful participation. And let me just paint this as a picture for you. Uh, back in March, I had one on a mission trip and uh, one with her mom. She was visiting, uh, they were doing a special mom-daughter retreat. And so me and uh, my 14-year-old, and she was at the time six-year-old, uh, go see the in-laws in Texarkana. Love the grandparents. They're fantastic. Um, the, the grandmother in Texarkana is always up for a good time. In fact, basically wherever she is, she will make it a good time. Anybody have a grandparent like that? It's, it's fun. So we roll up in Texarkana. We're hanging out. We've eaten, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, hey, let's go bowling. Okay, let's go bowling. Off we go to the Texarkana bowling thing. It's on the Arkansas side, so you have to like... Like, get through the smoke and then get your feet off the sticky to get past. I mean, all the stuff. We get there. Uh, they give us the very last lane. We're down there having a great time. We bowl. I bowl. Uh, grandmother up there, we affectionately call her B. So B bowls. Sam, the 14-year-old, he bowls. Maggie, the littlest one, she gets to bowl too. Uh, except they do the thing, if you've seen these before, where you put the dragon, or, well, this one was a dragon, but you get a ramp in, in some shape or form. You put the ball up there and you kind of aim the ramp and you try to put it down there and it takes like a minute and a half for the ball to actually get down to the thing. You know what I mean? You're paying by the hour. This is a conspiracy, I tell you. And so you, you kind of, okay. Well, so the, the littlest one, she, Maggie, like she's completely down for this. I mean, like she sees us bowling. She bowl. Okay, dad, 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 is it my turn? Can I go? Dad, is it my, I'm like, baby, look at the screen. Like whoever's highlighted, like that. say, look, it's daddy's turn. Oh, go, well, can I go? No, you can't go. It's not your turn. She doesn't get the screen. She doesn't get the frames. She doesn't get the score. All she knows is when it's her turn, we roll the dragon out, plop the ball on top. She gets to push it. The dragon spits the ball out. And then an hour and a half later, the ball makes contact with the pins. <laughs> Over and over and over again. And I'm not talking once. I'm talking like four times per frame. Daddy? Daddy, is it my turn yet? Can I go? Can I go? Daddy, can I go? Dad, Dad can I go? Do you want to bowl for me? What do you want to do here? Just, get, oh, okay. So we go through the whole thing. And just over and over and over again, for all of the time that we were there, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And I, that's how I picture joyful participation. Almost like that. Where the son is at the father's side saying, is it time yet? Is the fullness of time come yet? Like, is this the moment? Is this the moment where we get to go and rescue these people? Is this the moment where we get to go and fulfill the promises? Dad, can I go? Father, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Is it my turn yet? Can I go? And then the father looks at the son and says, oh, it's time. The fullness of time has come. I'm sending you. The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Joyful participation. And if I'm honest, that's a little bit what I picture Jesus doing even right this moment. Hey, Father, can, can I go yet? Like, is it time yet? World's jacked up, Father. Can I go yet? I don't think the first time he showed up was the only time that he was asking if it was time yet. Just the story that they are telling is that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So the question then comes for me, why does the world need saving? And I just simply point out 
that brokenness permeates everything. If the Son has come to be the Savior of the world, why does the world need saving? That's one of the why questions. Brokenness permeates everything. Have you looked around lately? Um, We are not just in culture, not just in Western culture. The world is polarized. Uh, It it is no longer acceptable for us to disagree about an issue and still be friends. Instead, we have to agree about everything or we can't be friends, right? We are polarized. Or we're power hungry in this sense, like we want it and we don't care what it costs us or what it costs people down the road. Or we say to heck with all of it and become very passive and are like, I'm just going to go live somewhere else. Y'all leave me the heck alone disengage completely. The world is broken. Well, but I mean, like, come on, it can't be that bad out there. Have you looked at the headlines, people? Let's just read the headlines. The world is broken. But why? Why is it broken? I I mean, aren't we kind of getting there? Aren't we... um, Uh, Are we getting better at this thing? Aren't we evolving in some way? And listen, here's what I would say. We may be evolving into something, but it's not something that we actually want to evolve in. Like, we, we are desperately in need of salvation. Brokenness permeates everything. Why? Because sin is in the world and death is the result. There's the brokenness right there. Sin is present. It is the cause that is here and death is the result. And so we need a savior. In case you haven't figured this out, just look at our history. We don't do a very good job at saving ourselves. That's true personally. That's true societally. We don't do a good job of saving ourselves. So we need a savior. And specifically because sin is the cause and death is a result, this is why we need a propitiation. So can we back up to verse 10? Chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son. There's that word sent again. Sent his son to, uh, to be the propitiation for our sins. My guess is, is that nobody used the word propitiation in a sentence this week except me. So I just want to offer this explanation very briefly to you about what propitiation is. It's a twofold word. It is the payment for sins, but also the purchasing of favor for God. So most people approach God in some manner, something like this. Hey, here are the scales of justice, and I've got some bad stuff over here that I need to even out. So I'm going to do some good stuff to try to get it to work. But the Bible's pretty clear about how weighty our sin is and how devastating our brokenness is. It tips the scale like this, and there's no undoing it. We need someone to step into our lives and pay the debt that we owe. This is what Jesus has done. He has died in our place and he has died for our sin. Even if you were, even if you were, because you may think to yourself, oh, well, I mean, like, I'm not that bad. I mean, like, I know some people. In fact, a couple of them are sitting on my row. I married the person, whatever. Like, I know some people who are pretty bad, but I'm not that bad. I'm more like, you know, like kind of right here. And no, well, number one, no, you're not. And secondly, because God knows what you think also. And what your affections are inclined to also. There's no secrets from him. So you may think you're right here, but even if you were able to pretend to balance the scales, there's nothing that would tip it in your favor. Nothing. And that's the twofold part of propitiation. We need someone to pay for our sins, but also purchase us favor with God. This is what Jesus has done for us. So the angel shows up. We sing about it just a while. Rejoice. The king has come. His favor rests on us. The announcement of the angels to, um, 
uh, to the shepherds. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men, upon whom his favor rests. Why? Why is God giving us favor? Is it because we're so worthy of his favor? What's the answer to that? No. It's because of the grace and amazing love of God in Jesus for us. He has not only paid for our sin, but he has purchased that favor with God. And that's, that's what our salvation looks like. Not simply, oh, thank you that my sins are forgiven. I'm just going to hold on till heaven. No, no. You get to live in relationship with a God who speaks favor over your life. It's why we need propitiation. Lastly, why would God do this? Why would God do this? What, what motivates God to send his son to be the savior of the world? I want to back up to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so, we, so that we might live through him. Why would God do this? It's, the answer is love. That's why we lit the candle today. That's why we got this passage today. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world because of his great love for you and for me. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest. What kind of love are we talking about? A profound kind of love. A manifested kind of love. A love that just doesn't say something, but also proves itself to you and to me. Uh, do you remember the Love Languages book? If anybody interacted with the Five Love Languages book, gifts of service and quality time and uh, um, uh, uh, like physical touch and, and um, this uh, acts of service, quality time, gifts, so on. So, um, the, the great insight in that book is that if I have the, the love language of physical touch and I'm trying to speak that to those around me and they don't have that, 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 uh, that love language, guess what? I, I might as well be speaking something else to them. I'm speaking a foreign language to them. I have to learn to speak their language. That's the great insight of that book is that I have to learn to speak my wife's, my kids, my, my friends. I have to learn to speak their language. What has God done? He has spoken our language. What, what did he do? This love of God was made manifest among us. He, he spoke human. Jesus came as a human. So that we could understand who God is. And just how much he loves. But also that that love would transform us. That's what he says. Uh, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. We are not talking about um, um, this kind of behavior modification. Where we're ah, let's just be some better people. We're not talking about the, the fixing the systems of our society. So that this, this place is a better place. That's not what we're talking about either. And listen, we are certainly not talking about adding another religious decoration to our lives. I, I think this is probably the prayer that I pray most on Sunday. I get up early, pray for all of us, pray for me, pray for my friends who are going to preach. I get up early, pray. We meet uh, at about eight o'clock in my office with some guys. We pray there. We pray beforehand in the service. This is the prayer that comes across my mind or my lips the most on Sunday. God, Please keep us from just having a religious moment here. We don't want to come in here the same and leave the same. We could be at home doing other things. Keep us from that. The invitation from God is not to add a religious decoration to our lives. The invitation from God is what? So that we might live through him. 
that we might experience life. We might genuinely and transformationally live with him. This favor has rested on us, and that favor would change our lives. But also, and I, think, I really think this is for someone today. This love is a prior kind of love. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. Again, John first, uh, verse 19, we love because he loved us first. A prior kind of love, meaning what? Before you could do anything good or bad, God set his love on you. But before uh, you could earn the love of God or reject the love of God, he has set his love on you. Before you were born, before you, your parents were born, your grandparents, before any of that, God set his love on you. Do you know how liberating that is? That's the whole message of 1 John chapter 4 is because you and I are so amazingly and frankly atrociously loved, like God just pours it out on us in a way that we don't deserve and is frankly embarrassing. Because that's the truth. Man, we're free to love like that to everybody around us. And so Jesus says it this way in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me. Three times in this, these little verses that we read, Sent. God sent the son. He sent his only son. He sent the son. Three times he says that. Jesus says this to his followers. That's you and me. As the father has sent me, so I have sent you. And there's a world out there that desperately needs it. Um, There's a world out there that desperately needs to know. Well, goodness. There's a world out there that desperately needs to know about this incredible love that God has for you and for me. There's a world out there that needs to be set free from their bondage, from their addictions, from, and they, that, that liberty is going to come through the amazing love of God. Folks, this is why um, come January, February, we're going to push really hard about us as a church family stepping out into this kind of thing. It's why we, for 13 years now, have been scheming and planning and praying and setting aside money to, to plant a church. We want to see the love of God made manifest through God's people in other places. Why we want to become these kind of people. I mean, on and on and on we could go. Listen, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. And what what is he sending you with? He's sending you with this message. I just want to rehearse these S's one more time. That we're all guilty. That is sin. Everyone is, is guilty. Well, I'm less guilty than others. That's fine, but you're still guilty. Sin, we're all guilty. And because of that sin and that guilt, we are separated from God. Why? Because God is holy. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist. And he doesn't redefine his standards because we think that he should. Or separated from God. But God doesn't love that. And he loves us too much to let that stand. And so he sends Jesus as a sacrifice. He dies in our place and for our sin. The propitiation. Paying our debt. Purchasing favor. And he raises Jesus from the dead as Lord of all, the the Messiah. And you and I, our best response to that is simply to surrender. We we turn from our selfishness and self-destruction. We believe in what he has done for us. And we hear and see that he is what he has done. And then lastly, God doesn't put us in neutral and say, okay, y'all just hang on till I come back. He sends us out. We are a family of missionaries sent to places to um, work 
and to uh, uh, neighborhoods and Christmas caroling and to uh, Sunday school parties and to soccer groups, uh, uh, teams and, and gatherings and to baseball and everywhere else that you can imagine. We're a family of missionaries. That's who we are. He, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is what we carry. This is the story that we carry. So like we've done the past several weeks, uh, I just don't know that we do a good job at having space in our lives. So I just wanted to create a moment where we have some space. So I'm going to pray. These questions are going to pop up on the screen. And uh, if you want to snap a picture, you want to write them down, whatever's easiest for you. And we just want to have some space. Frank's going to lead us in a song. You can sing if you want to. You can sit if you want to. You can stand if you want to. You can come up here and kneel if you want to. There'll be people at the back. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'd love to do that. You can just soak this in and go, God, this is something I need to think about. Whatever it is, we want to create some space for you to interact with the God who made you and, listen, who loves you. So let me pray.